Hello, and uh, welcome to Lamniforms Radio. Um, as you can probably tell from the name of this episode, I do not have a guest, unlike my previous episodes. This is a format that I had been interested in exploring simply to keep productivity up and keep the podcast going uh, during periods of time where I was unable to book a guest or was in the process of editing someone else's episode. In general, I just know that the way that these sort of programs work, here I am saying programs like it's some sort of radio drama from the 40s, but hey, you know, not... uh, not that dissimilar of a vibe. Point being, I know that in order for a podcast to remain in people's consciousness and therefore be more successful, however you want to measure that, uh, you need to put out a great deal more content than I'm currently doing. Right now, I'm averaging about one episode a month, which is fine by me. That works very well with my schedule. Uh, when it comes to my job and the bands that I play in and my social life, etc., etc., but I can t- I want more from this than I was getting, and I was experimenting with a few different ideas, possibly doing uh, a, a version of some of my old newsletters or doing concurrent newsletter and podcasts, basically having an audio version and a text version of the same sort of premises, working over the same kind of ideas, because I know that everyone's lifestyle is different, and uh, some people prefer reading, some people prefer to have something that they can listen to, say on their commute or during a workout or what have you. I don't discriminate. I'm honestly not that interested in... um, Form, I'm more interested in transmitting ideas, giving people thoughts to chew on, uh, and working over those ideas myself. Now, over the last week or so, I have been trying to write a newsletter about the situation that all of us are in right now. And I do say all of us, not figuratively, but quite literally. Uh, Whether you realize it or not, we are all in a shared, universal, human struggle at the moment, which is kind of awe-inspiring in its own way. Um, And it's it's made me very (laughs) emotional over the last week, kind of trying to grapple with the, uh, the stakes of that and the ramifications of that. The other thing is, as I've been trying to write this newsletter over the last week, I've perpetually, pretty much on a daily basis, had to go back and significantly edit large portions of what I was writing because it was no longer um, factually accurate or was no longer uh, reflecting the tenor of the experience that we're having. So um, when I started writing it, it was during a period of time in which I think a lot of us were still, and I speak at this point, I've narrowed the gaze to uh, New Yorkers because I am a New Yorker and that's the lived experience that I have. Um, 
a lot of us were still going to our day jobs. A lot of us, I mean, a lot of us still are in one capacity or another, but a lot of, I was, you know, taking the subway a great deal, um, still going into the office. And I was feeling very frustrated by that. Uh, I felt like both the city and um, many of the employers in the city were not taking the situation very seriously. And I felt really, really, really uh, enraged by that. I, I had had a di very difficult time controlling my emotions about it. Uh, I woke up pretty much every day either wanting to cry or wanting to throw a trash can through the windows of a pizzeria. It was like that was kind of my emotional state for a solid week there. Um, luckily, I guess, you know, in a sense, we everyone started to get the picture a bit. And this has been the first week where I have been pretty much entirely cooped up in my apartment. Um, I kept taking tracks, uh, excuse me, kept taking cracks at the, the newsletter over and over and over again. And every day, some other situation would arise that would force me to, to double back and need to reapproach it. Essentially the gist of it, uh, was that, you know, I'm seeing a lot of fingers being pointed from one individual or another or actions being taken from one individual to another. So I think like the moment where a lot of us started to realize that this is something that we in America should really, really start paying attention to and start responding to rapidly was after the NBA was canceled again. That's my bias. That's the world that I live in. This is These are the things that I generally care about. Some people were already taking it more seriously prior to that. But I think the, you know, like Joe Sixpack turns on ESPN and finds out, oh shit, NBA doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, and then suddenly everyone's like, oh, okay, time to respond in a much faster way than we were previously responding to. And shortly after that, um, you saw a lot, or at least I saw a lot. Uh, I don't want to speak for what other people are seeing. That's a bad verbal tick. Um, thanks, Pauline Kale. Um, I saw a lot of players donating large sums of money to help cover the costs of keeping the hourly employees of the various arenas that these NBA games are played in. Uh, paid during a period of time where they didn't have jobs, essentially. Um, like Kevin Love, who plays on the Cleveland Cavaliers, donated $100,000. Uh, Zion Williamson, who's 19 years old um, and is making significantly less money than Kevin Love, uh, said that he's just going to pay the, the entire uh, payroll for the employees at the Smoothie King um, Arena in New Orleans. And there's something inherently kind of funny about like discussing something involving the Smoothie King arena and feeling yourself uh, wanting to cry at the same time. That's just kind of the weird world that we lived in, that we live in currently. Jesus, that was a dark Freudian slip. But it, it really broke my heart um, to see that this is what, you know, I think that that's an incredibly gracious and beautiful thing for this this is like kid, you know, he's 19. He's, um, when I was that age, even if I had that kind of disposable income, I don't even know if I would be able to make a moral choice like that. That's, it was so powerful to me. And, and I started like tearing up on the train on my way home. 
Um, but if you understand anything about the financial and capital realities of the NBA, it sort of feels crazy to even ask that of someone like Zion Williamson. Uh, you know, people complain a lot about NBA players being overpaid. And I understand where they're coming from because the amount of money that they're receiving is truly bonkers and hard to wrap your head around. But anytime you see something like that of like a single individual um, who's essentially an employee being paid absurd amounts of money, you have to then think or like step back and think, well, if someone is paying them that amount of money, uh, ergo, it is within the financial capabilities of another person to say, okay, yes, this person is going to get $9 million a year, just pulling a number off the top of my head. Who are those people? Um, what's what's their deal? You know, that's that's the thing that I think all of us need to like, start training our eyes on a bit more. Um, and I'm not the only person to point things like this out. If you know me, you know that I'm a uh, pretty staunch supporter of a lot of politicians who lean to the left. That's just where I'm coming from. If you disagree, that's fine. I hope you hear me out anyway. Um, it just, it is a shame that the millionaires have to pick up the slack of the billionaires that pay them. Now, some of the NBA owners have come forward and said that they will keep everyone employed. Mark Cuban, I think, is the most not notable example. But this is just a, a, a point. If you don't care about the NBA, that's fine. But I just want to use this as an example, um, because it is such a cultural touchstone for so many people, of a kind of logic that I've been seeing a lot since this all began. So another point. Today, it's it's March 20th, by the way. Um, today, the website Bandcamp, uh, which is a website that hosts music and allows fans to buy music pretty much directly from labels and artists and takes a small cut. It's like, I, you know, I have my music on Bandcamp. They really don't take very much. Um, Obviously, I'd prefer in a perfect world that all the money went directly for me. And for 24 hours today, Bandcamp did just that. They said, we are going to waive our commission fees, basically. And anyone who buys a album or a song or what have you on Bandcamp, all of that money is going directly to the artists. Um, that's a a really gracious thing to do as well. The fact that this is a website that only exists because it is able to take some of the money. Um, I'm sure they also have venture capitalist backing at some point. I haven't really looked into it, but basically they're functional. They're only functional because they take a cut of each transaction that's going on on the website. They're a middleman. Um, for them to say for 24 hours, artists are getting the full amount. That's great. And in, that's because, you know, as you are probably well aware, most musicians have had to cancel their live performances, their tours uh, for pretty much the remainder of the year. And anything that hasn't been canceled yet will be. Um, I'm not saying this as an employee of my employer, but just 
as someone who works in the industry in a variety of ways, this is going to keep going and it is unlikely to stop anytime soon. So clearly that puts a lot of artists in a pretty precarious situation, especially because if they don't make all of their money on touring, then they probably had day jobs that are also being cut off. So I, I am friends with a great deal of musicians in my day-to-day life. Most of them have some kind of service job or day job, and all of those have been just as equally affected. So I think a company like Bandcamp saying, we want to support the artists that make this very website possible to begin with is the least they can do. That's great. Then, however, the onus is on us as consumers to spend money and help all of the musicians that make the art and the music that makes our lives easier to live. You can you can pretty easily see where this becomes a problem, right? Um, yes, if you have money to spend, and this is especially the case if you're the kind of person like myself that is able to work from home from your day job. If you're continuing to get paid in this moment, I do think you have somewhat of a moral responsibility to do what you can to assist other people in your community who are not as fortunate as you. Uh, I think that that's just obvious. I, I don't have a philosophy degree. I can't go at length breaking down why I think that is the case. I just think it makes intuitive sense to me. But most people are not that lucky. And essentially what this has done is it's created a situation where it is the consumer's responsibility to keep artists alive and to pay to have to help them pay their rent, pay their groceries and, you know, their Netflix bill, whatever, the, all the various student debt, et cetera, et cetera, on down the line, um, their cost of living, basically. But all the majority of people in this country are soon to be, or at least in New York, again, I don't want to generalize, but a lot of people's livelihoods are being affected. So their own uh, sources of revenue that they can then spend on the music is being limited. And a friend of mine, um, Eva Lawitz, on Instagram made this great point that it essentially what this amounts to for a lot of independent musicians who all want to support each other is that we're just passing around the same $20 bill in a circle. That's not enough. It's not good enough, period. It's not, I'm not saying it's not good enough as in it is not morally sufficient. Uh, as I said before, I think morally it's the, the correct thing to do on a case by case basis. Um, However, it is not sufficient to solve the problem that we're running into. That's basically the crux of what I was attempting to write about. Um, where I kept running into problems is I kept having to adjust the piece uh, to update what the government, whether it be city, state, or federal, was doing to address those problems. And so you've probably seen 
a fair amount of different things happening all over the country. So some, so for example, uh, there's eviction freezes, there's, uh, not canceling of student debt, but slowing of student debt. There's been the floated idea of some kind of universal basic income, whether it be the, you know, Trump mailing us all a thousand dollars, which, okay, buddy, fine. I will take the money. But again, because I'm the kind of person that has a job that is still paying me, I'm going to immediately find ways to distribute that as far across my um, my network as I can. But a thousand dollars a month is not going to cut it. That's 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 pitiance, you know. Um, even someone like Andrew Yang, who was suggesting just a, a universal basic income, a UBI, uh, in perpetuity in American culture, I don't think believed that people are actually going to be living entirely on $1,000 a month. Um, that's not sufficient to be alive, period. In America, and I think in most places adjusted for inflation, that's just not reasonable in 2020. So this kind of forces us to consider, like, what is necessary? What is the job of the state? What is the point if we're going to exist in a, a culture that has created a state government and that a government that collects taxes, what is that institution's job in our life? And my opinion is that it really only functions, it should only function to provide support for the people who allow it to exist. Same thing as Bandcamp. You know, Bandcamp, it is their duty to do what they can to help artists at this time because without artists, Bandcamp has no reason to exist. Ditto for the U.S. government or for the New York state government or the New York City government, Brooklyn borough government, all the way down. The only functional purpose of any of these institutions the only reason that they exist to begin with is to serve the people that justify their existence. So essentially the point that I started dancing around is that if all of us are going through this together, and I do believe that we are, and I think statistically that's borne out, this thing can spread very fast. It will likely spread to pretty much every city in America just realistically speaking, then any solution to a universal problem must be a universal solution, right? That, that tracks. Exactly what that solution is, I'm not qualified to tell you. I don't know. I'm not that smart. Uh, I think that there's a lot of things that we can point to that would be very helpful. I think a rent freeze would be a good start. I think Canceling student debt would be terrific for at least my generation. I don't know how that would affect um, significantly older members of the community who are not facing that problem. But generally what I think is going to get us through this is an increased sense of universalism, is an increased sense of shared struggle and shared responsibility for one another. Uh, you know, you see a lot of, there's a lot of shaming about you know, individuals still going out to party, you know, like 
you see these videos of 21 year olds still going down to Miami to get, you know, trashed on spring break. And, you know, going back to my previous point about how dumb I was at 19, I can't entirely hold those people to fault, although they are behaving recklessly. What I think all of us need to do here on an individual level, because ultimately any collective is only made up of thousands of individuals. The, you know, we're all in, we all have a shared problem, but the, and the solution must apply to all of us, but that can only come about if each person behaves in a way that benefits everyone, but that's a personal choice. So this is a difficult thing that I, I haven't yet. It's something I'm going to work out over time. And it's something that I've been thinking about a great deal in general, but all of us need to learn to accept that none of us are the main character in this story. The main character is the community and the people that our actions affect, not just the actor taking the actions. And so that's why all I'm trying to do is think about how my actions impact others, how what I would do would impact my parents who are both in their 70s uh, and are kind of the target demo for this disease. Um, it, how it would impact the parents of my closest friends and my co-workers. Uh, s along those same lines, basically the only thing that you can do in order to take this seriously is consider how you are one part of a larger, constantly shifting organism that is the community. We are all linked into this. This thing has connected all of us in a very circuitous and kind of upside down logic kind of way by tearing us apart from each other. And that requires us, especially now that we're going to be increasingly cut off from each other to be reminded of that connectedness. We have to constantly think about how our actions affect others, how we can behave in a way that improves the lives of others versus denigrates the lives of others. And ultimately, it is, I think, the state's responsibility to behave in a similar manner, to, be, to behave in a way that benefits the entirety of the community versus a select few members of that community whichever particular members you are thinking of. Um, that's really all I have for today. I will probably do a fair amount of these. I don't know. It depends on how all this is going to go on. I will continue to have guests. And if you're listening and you're like, hey, this guy sounds kind of interesting. I'd like to talk to him about my music or I'd like to talk to him about some sort of artistic project that I'm doing. That's what I'm best at. I, I'm not really like a journalist journalist. I'm just like an opinionated musician who um, is, you know, currently having a drink and trying to alleviate some boredom and stress by talking to his relatively small audience. But say if you're a musician who is trying to promote their music on Bandcamp um, and you want to talk to me about it, I'm really happy to do that. So if you're capable of recording yourself at home or wherever you're stuck, while we have some sort of video chat going, that's perfect for me. Hit me up. You know where to find me. I'm on Instagram at Ian K. Corey. I'm on Twitter at Laminiforms underscore. 
if you liked this episode, but were like, uh, I kind of wish it just wasn't this asshole talking the whole time. I'd like to hear what other people have to say. Then you can find episodes of this podcast. Holy shit. You can find episodes of this podcast on the iTunes podcast app. This is the first new one. Yay. Congratulations, everyone. You can, you know, subscribe to this podcast like it's a, a real thing now. Um, maybe next time you'll hear me doing like mattress ads and other bullshit like that. Um, yeah, you can find me in the iTunes music store, the iTunes podcast app. Rather, you can find it on SoundCloud still at Lamniform Sounds, Lamniforms dash sounds. If you're typing it in as you're listening and you can just find me generally on the internet. I'm not hard to find. It's Google exists, people. Anyway, that's all. Um, I might cook up a little drone to play in the beginning and end of this episode, so it's not just my voice the entire time. Thank you for listening. If you want to respond to any of the ideas that I've put forth here, I'm all ears. You'll hear from me again soon. I love you. We're in this together, and we're stronger for it. Stay well.